You're clocked out. We're locked in. You're listening to Crunch Time with Miguez and Mesh here on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. You ever have those weeks where it's a Monday and you already want the week to be over? Crunch Time right here on the game, 1037 Lafayette, the 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana sports station in your home. For the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros, Matt Miguez here. The the amount of issues, for lack of better words, that 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 your boy has been through over the last twenty four hours would make an average man just wither. But not me. I, I'm here. I'm working, getting the job done, day in and day out, because I'm the champ. I'm Mr. Big Time, and I'm just downright awesome. Big messy time. Big messy time. Bring in my co-host and producer, Mr. James Mesh. James, what's up, buddy? What's up, Matt? What's going on? Not a whole lot, man. Not oh, a yeah? Whole lot. <laughs> I, I say that, but... Uh, That's just a lie. Yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a downright lie. Wow, lying on air. So, I went cover the Saints game yesterday, which was a great time. Enjoyed it. Can't wait to go back. However, in the streets of New Orleans, they are known for broken beer bottles everywhere, which means shards of glass just, you know, hanging out where people's tires go. Okay, you can you can probably pick up on where I'm going with this. Driving back with my wife from New Orleans last night. We make it to Morgan City on Highway 90, and my tire light comes on. Pull over, check the tire. It looks okay. Looks like it might be a little low, but it's fine. Keep driving. Gets lower and lower and lower. Pull over again, this time at the Morgan City Welcome Center, and that sucker is flat. Like a pancake. Bad. It's like, okay, cool. Changed the tire one too many times in my life. Let's do it again. Go to the back, get the spare tire, get my jack. And I look around and I said, well, where's the lug wrench? Where's the tire iron? Now, granted, this is the first time that I've ever had to change a tire in this new car that I have. So I didn't realize... That when I purchased the car four years ago, that it did not come with a lug wrench or a tire iron, like most cars do. Yeah, mine didn't come with it either. Interesting. Because every other car I've ever had had one. But anyways, not the point. So then, got to get the father-in-law to come in and save the day. So he drives the hour from New Orleans to Morgan City. One thing led to another. I sat in the Morgan City Welcome Center parking lot for three and a half hours. Ended up driving back to New Orleans on a plugged tire. Went to get a new tire this morning. And James, what time did I get here? 2.30? Roughly. Yeah. So, lovely Monday. It's a lovely start to the Monday. Um, What made it even worse was that the Saints laid an egg. 
the Saints laid an egg. Please, please, for the love of Jesus Christ, tell me how you had your foot on their throat and you didn't end it. Right there at the end of the third quarter, beginning of the fourth, you're up five. You go score a touchdown, it's over. It's over. If you score a touchdown and you go up 12 in the fourth quarter, the ball game is over. And you you didn't. And then, with three minutes left in the game, you had another opportunity. You were only up two at this point, but you had another opportunity. Go get a first down. Go run out the clock. What do you do? Three and out. And then Blake Gillikin shanks it right off the side of his foot. And then, I mean, that's just a prime opportunity for Joe Burrow and Jamar Chase to do what they do. Saints don't know how to tackle. Elusive receiver. It's a recipe for disaster. And uh, that's exactly, exactly what it was. Uh, Saints falling to the Cincinnati Bengals 30-26 to yesterday. With the loss, the Saints fall to 2-4, and four, which miraculously, they're still in the hunt for the division. They're only a game out because Tampa's in first place at 3-3. Three and three. The problem becomes now the Saints have a massively short turnaround. Uh, they will be traveling to Phoenix on Wednesday to play the Cardinals- on a Thursday night game. We'll talk about the Bing, the Saints game and upcoming games a little bit more at 5.30 with my guy Dawson Iserlow of the Dome Zone podcast. And then at 4.30, as we always do, we're going to do Tiger Talk with our guy Wilson Alexander. What a showing in the swamp for Jaden Daniels. We'll talk about that and so much more. If you want to get in on the game, hotline is 337-706-0111. And here in Acadiana, you can watch us on the simulcast. It's Stadium 32.3 and Channel 133 on LUS Fiber. James, I, I noticed, so you, you had the, the lovely privilege of covering the Houston Astros on Saturday. Oh, it's a... Mm, uh. <laughs> All of that, huh? Oh, dude, that that game pissed me off. All of that, huh? If you actually enjoyed that game, like legitimately, about the game itself, not the fact that the Astros won, if you just enjoyed the game itself, watching 18 innings of nothing and just pop flies every time into center field and then to left field, you're weird. Well, I'll be honest, I didn't watch it. I was watching Tennessee and Alabama, but... I, I had to I had to try and pull them up on stream because I was like this game's taking forever. The game time was what six, six hours. hours and nineteen minutes. Yeah. It was eighteen minutes. They played two games. I know. <laughs> I watched the whole thing. They played two games between the two teams. There was fourteen hits and only one run was scored, and that run didn't come until the top of the eighteenth. Oh, we'll talk about that a little bit later on in the show as well. We have audio from Robert Ford and Steve Sparks, including the home run call for the rookie shortstop sensation, Jeremy Pena. Let's head to the hotline now. Ellis is calling in. Ellis, what's up? 
last night, uh, yesterday afternoon when I was watching the Saints, it took me back 45, 50 years, how long they've been in existence. It's like that, that's the Saints that we learned to love back in those days. Couldn't get over the hump. Uh, I don't know that I'd go that far. Oh, I would go that I, far. I, I, I get, I get where you're coming from. Reminds me of the, that defense. This defense reminds you of the defense of the seventies. Yep. Oh, I, you get, they, I don't, I don't agree with they that can't at all. Finish a game. They can't finish a game. I don't agree with that at all. The the defense yesterday was not the problem. The defense no, the wasn't great. The problem was that the Cincinnati hadn't given up a touchdown in the second half all year. And they wrote, read with the writing, and uh, they just followed that. Because there was no reason for the defense not to be coming in the whole game like they were for that, what, five or six plays where they. they Burroughs could do absolutely nothing with the ball. And uh, he knocked the ball away from him, and I think they missed the uh, uh, ball on that. Getting the ball back, he got it back. That that was a big play there. Yep, absolutely. So, but that's my two cents for what it's worth. Absolutely. Appreciate the call, man. Okay, thank you. No, no. I mean, don't get me wrong. Did the defense play exceptionally well yesterday? No. The biggest problem, however, was the offense. James, enlighten me on something. Enlighten me on something. You take five trips to the red zone. Five! How do you only score once? How do you only get in the end zone once? One time. I understand you didn't have Michael Thomas yesterday. That's fine. I understand you didn't have Jarvis Landry yesterday. That's fine. I understand you didn't have Chris Olave. That's That's fine. fine. (laughs) You had Alvin Kamara. You had Mark Ingram. You had Traquan Smith, who actually played like a football player yesterday. How do you not score touchdowns? You also had Taysom Hill. Jesus Christ, thank you. Here's my point. Sure, the offense didn't execute very well yesterday. But of that one for five, the four times that you had to kick field goals, you score, you turn one of those four field goals into a touchdown. You win the game. You win the game. You win the game. I mean, if you want to get technical, they wouldn't have gone for two, so you just kicked the extra point, so you still would have lost by one, but... I get what you're saying. A touchdown in one of those drives would have sucked the life out of Cincinnati. You'd have won the game. You would have put a lot more urgency into them trying to get trying to get it going. Your offense can't take five trips inside the twenty yard line and you kick a field goal four of the five times. You just can't. It's absolutely unacceptable. Now again, I I'll I'll agree with the caller. The defense did not play well. They were okay. And I would not go as far as to say that they remind me of the defense of the 70s. Granted, I wasn't alive in the 70s, but I've seen I've seen enough clips from that, that era to know that this defense is not that bad. 
the the offense just has to execute better. The play calling got ultra conservative in the second half. Um, John J. Hendricks put it perfectly in the press box. He said that the Saints were starting to play like they were trying not to lose than trying to win. You know and what happens? I, and when I you, see that way too often. You know what happens when you try not to lose? You lose. You lose. It. But here's the thing. Here's the thing. You're two and four, and you're somehow still in it. Somehow you're still in it. You got the Jets beating the Packers by seventeen. You got the Bucks losing to the Steelers. You cannot. Lose to Arizona Thursday night. You cannot. Do you want me to tell you how the season, the rest of the season is going to go? Well, please, please enlighten me, Nostradamus. Do you, do you want me to tell you how it's probably going to go? Please enlighten me, Nostradamus. Go ahead. Okay, so they're going to be down. Then they're going to get your hopes back up with uh, one or two straight wins. You know, string a couple together. Keep you alive. Then they lose because you're like, oh, they got some momentum going. Look at the Saints. And then they're going to lose a game or two somehow, some way. They, they find new ways. I don't and, and understand me, how you guess. do that. You have them going 8-9 and nine and missing the playoffs again. Yeah, 8-9, and 9-8. Nine, nine and eight. Yeah. They'll find a way. That sounds about right. That and sounds... you're going to be like, oh, they're so close. That's that's going to be the whole thing with this, se- this season is as bad as they play, they've been in all these games. They have not been blown out. People might not like But they're just so far away from like figuring it out, yet they're so close. It's people, so weird with this team. People might not like what I'm about to say, but I'm going to go ahead and say it. Go get a first-round draft pick and draft a quarterback. They've never been successful with a first-round pick with a quarterback. When's the last time you drafted a first-round quarterback? Archie? They're not good at drafting quarterbacks really to begin with. Because they've never drafted a good one. Because they miss on every one. Because you wait until the fourth and fifth round. They're not good. Go get a first round talent. Go get a CJ Stroud or a DJU. I mean, I don't like DJU, but a guy of that caliber. I would I would love to get a Bryce Young, but I don't see how that's possible. Um but no, I, I got told one thing that that I that anybody um I, I saw something on Twitter yesterday that really just disgusted me. It said the Philadelphia Eagles are really gonna win the Super Bowl and take our top five draft pick. Absolutely disgusting. Let's go to the hotline, Ralph, what's up? Well, you want to hear something more disgusting? The Philadelphia Eagles will win the Super Bowl, take our number five draft pick, whatever it's going to be. And probably Chauncey Gardner-Johnson will have the game, you know, ceiling interception in the Super Bowl, more than likely. <laughs> but, hey, we're going to turn that fifth-round pick into to some unhidden gem from, you know, Chippewa Valley State, you know. Um, good Lord have mercy. I'm hey, so frustrated with this. Rashid, Rashid Shahid came from Weber State. Well, I know, and 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 Ramchek came from some welding program. At, I don't know where at, and whatever you know. I I know there's gems all over the place. The problem is we've missed on whiffed on some big time first round picks in recent years as well. And, and Peyton Turner, you know, Marcus Davenport, and just some poor 
front office decisions and who to who to extend, who to franchise, who to. I'll I'll, I'll agree with you that Peyton Turner has been a serious dud. Oh my God! I mean, well, first of all, he's played in what like five games in two years. (laughs) He can't stay healthy. But you know, it's it's horrible. You know, and and. Anyamata's disappeared since he's been off the PEDs. I mean, it, you know, um, I, I just, I'm, I'm, and look, I know, I, I, I get what y'all are saying about the offense, but, but believe me, if you had told me going into yesterday's game that we're going to score 26, I'd have taken that in a heartbeat, given our injury situation. I, I you know, I, I get having to make first i mean uh, uh touchdowns instead of field goals I, re- I really do but i'm gonna put some of this on the defense because we are just we're leading the league oh, in in pass plays over 30 yards it's true that's the best that's to be leading and you know but the tackling has just been atrocious and we really can't generate a pass rush we did you know last week against two rookie tackles but other than that if, if unless we blitz the mario davis or pete werner we're not really generating a pass rush, you know, and 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 of course the the inability of the, of the secondary to tackle is it, just it, it's ridiculous, you know. It, and so I, it's a look, and look when, when you're you're you know punter who gets tested for PEDs because he booms one whatever it was eighty two yards or whatever <laughs> he shanks it. Well, you know that that's just a that's a a microcosm of what this. Season has been, has been and, and and unfortunately, I'm afraid James is right is destined to be. It's just that I don't know where that voodoo doll is at that Maria Laveau has on us. But man, since 2009, after we won that Super Bowl to 2010, uh, it's been it's been some rough rough times, you know. Um, and look. It, you know, I'm, I'm gonna, I'm a, I've been riding with them since the first game they ever played, and and I'll die with them. But I'm, I'm really concerned for the future at at, at this point. You know, not not having draft picks and and kind of knowing, you know, some of the contracts we have coming up, and uh, yeah, it's gonna be a lot of, I think, a couple of painful years ahead of us. So we'll we'll see what happens. But my big question, and I'll hang up and listen, Matt, but. You know, I saw the pictures you posted in the Superdome press box, and and please tell me that fork was not used anywhere in the consumption of those hot dogs. It was only oh. only because let me let me explain. I was I was in nice dress clothes, and I don't want to put chili on my dress mm-hmm. clothes. Unless you were sitting next to Cat Terrell, you know, in which case you had to be like a gentleman. But if you were sitting by John J. Hendricks or those guys, no. <laughs> oh, I love no. that. I love that. You want to, you're in nice dress clothes and you have to change a flat tire on the way home. That's <laughs> just told you something right there. Man. Yeah, you're, you're absolutely right. You're absolutely right. All right, man. Have a good one. Appreciate the call. Yeah, you know whose choice was it to wear the nice clothes? That was mine. Okay, I just I just want to make that confirmed. No, that was mine, and I'm gonna do it again when I go again. Uh huh. But here's the thing, you know, would you believe me? Friday when we talked about this game, would you have believed me if I'd have said that this offense would have run for 230 yards, scored 26 points? Well, that's the that's the thing with a lot of things nowadays is you look at these crazy stats. And you say and you you say this about the Seahawks win. It's like, 
oh, you see the defense gave up 32 points, where you're like, oh, the Saints got blown out probably like 32 to 13. You're like, oh, the Saints ran for 228 yards? Oh, they must have won by 10. No, it's like the, the stats, it's so weird because they don't tell the whole story. Yep. We'll take a timeout. We'll come We'll come back to talk about this and the LSU game as well before Tiger Talk with Wilson Alexander at the 4.30 segment right here on the game. Southwest Louisiana Sports Station, your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Got something to say to Miguez and Mesh? Hell yeah! It's easy. Just call the hotline by dialing 337-706-0111. Now back to more Crunch Time with Miguez and Mesh here on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. The New Orleans Saints will be taking on the Arizona Cardinals this Thursday night, and the game will get you ready for the primetime matchup. Crunch Time will be broadcasting live from Twin Peaks on Johnson Street from 4 to 6, so come hang out with the fellas, enjoy ice-cold beverages and tasty burgers as the Saints take on the Cardinals. Twin Peaks eats, drinks, scenic views. Matt Miguez, James Mesh, 26 after the hour here on the game. Talk about LSU quickly. 45-35 45-35 to 35 win over Florida. Jaden Daniels, what a game he had. I mean, 23 of 32, 349 yards, three touchdowns. He also added three rushing touchdowns on 44 yards rushing. Josh Williams had a big game on the ground as well, 106 yards in the contest. And then Kayshawn Boutte, six catches. 115 yards with a long of 40. You think he's back involved? Definitely looked that way Saturday night. And then on the other side for Florida, Anthony Richardson was 15 of 25 for 185 yards on a touchdown. He also had 109 yards rushing with a touchdown. Granted, 81 of those 109 yards came on that one play. And also former Cajun Montreal Johnson, 13 carries for 57 yards and two scores with the win. The Tigers improve to five and two on the season, three and one in the SEC. Florida's at four and three, one and three in the conference. Also, with the win, Brian Kelly made LSU history. He is the first coach to go to Auburn and to Florida and win both in the same season. No LSU coach has ever gone to Jordan Hare and the Swamp and won in the same season. So pretty impressive there for, for the new head football coach for the LSU Tigers in Brian Kelly. Looking at Brian Kelly's, he met with the media following the game. What was clicking for Kayshawn Booty in this game? He just, um, I made him the game day captain, and you could just see that intensity pick up, and I don't know that that was the reason for it, but he played fast. He, I made him game day captain because of the way he practiced this week. Um, he, by far, set the standard in terms of um, how he went to practice, and it showed in the way he played. He was faster than anybody. Uh, he broke tackles. He was a difference maker. If he plays at that level, um, we're, we're a different football team. 
Brian Kelly was also asked if there were signs during the week that would lead him to believe that Jaden Daniels would have the game that he did. Absolutely, of course. I mean, we were hoping that uh, he was going to be more uh, assertive with the football and push it down the field. He's seeing things a lot better. Uh, the offense is coming to him. Um, it's a new offense that he's in, uh, and um, it's it's slowing down for him. Um, and, and obviously, you know, throwing for three and running for three, you saw his athletic ability and his ability to um, to move this offense. On top of all of that, though, it, it was LSU still has a special teams problem. And it's a bad one. You know, they're, Jack Besh muffed yet another punt. And, you know, you just had some some weird bounces that, that just, you know, you've seen it multiple weeks now that special teams just hasn't really performed up to LSU standards. And you're going to have to get that fixed when you're playing teams like Ole Miss this weekend and Alabama in two weeks. And you still have to go to Texas A&M which, I mean, you know, say what you want about Texas A&M. But, you know, games like that, special teams can cost you. Uh, so LSU is definitely going to have to get that shored up here along the back stretch of the season. We'll take a timeout right here. The Tesh Project is hosting the Shake Your Trail Feather Paddle Parade and Party in the Park this Saturday, October 22nd. A pair of live Cajun bands will escort paddlers as they, fo- as they float from Poche Bridge to Bro Bridge from 10 to noon. At, after the paddle parade, there will be a free celebration at Park de Points in Bro Bridge from 1130 to 2 with Horace Traha and the Austin Express. There will also be kids' activities, food and drinks, bird costume prizes, and a kayak raffle. Come paddle or join the fun with the Tesh Project on October 22nd in Bro Bridge. And for more information, the website is teshproject.org. Take a time out. Wilson Alexander joins us next right here on the game. Southwest Louisiana Sports Station and your home for the Houston Astros and LSU Tigers. Johnson throws. Boutte's got it wide open at the 10. Far side. He's in for the score. Hit high. Hammered to left field. Going back. Taking a look. Is Holcomb. And it's gone. Time to talk all things Bayou Bengals. With the advocates, Wilson Alexander. Here is Tiger Talk on Crunch Time with Miguez and Mesh. Wilson Alexander, what's going on, bud? Uh, doing well, Matt. How are you today? I'm doing well. Let's look at let's look at this LSU game against Florida. I mean, a 45-35 victory in the swamp. I mean, all, all I can really say is what a what a great game by the LSU Tigers. It, it was it was it was like all the narratives kind of flipped. <laughs> Everything that had been going wrong for LSU in terms of like the struggles in the passing game and offensively, all of a sudden, I mean, six straight touchdown drives to open the game. LSU doesn't punt until the fourth quarter builds up a really big lead that ends up being enough um, to hold off Florida when it started coming back late and had a couple of big plays, especially that Anthony Richardson 81-yard touchdown run. It was the best game that Jaden Daniels has played to this point, maybe in his entire career, um, and just a really sudden improvement on offense. Everything looks so much more efficient, so much uh, cleaner all across the board. The execution was there. LSU gave up some big plays defensively, really just two um, in particular, and still had some special teams mistakes. 
Um, but this was a, a, a really good win for a team that was coming off such a blowout loss to Tennessee. Yeah, you talked about Jaden Daniels. Six total touchdowns, you know, three in the air, three on the ground. Efficient with his passing, 350 yards. I think he completed over 60% of his passes. I mean, just just greatest performance. Uh, a plus. <laughs> uh, this was everything that LSU wanted to see from Daniels. He, you know, there had been all this discussion for weeks about how uh, maybe he wasn't working through his progressions, taking off too soon, um, needed to stretch the field vertically, needed to be more aggressive in his decisions. Uh, the timing was off. Uh, you know, seeing guys get open uh, and, and instead of anticipating when they would be where they were supposed to be, and all of that went away. You know, the, all the things that LSU's been wanting to get out of him sort of just happened in, in a week. Um, you'd seen some improvement, I think, in a few spots against Tennessee um, in terms of his aggressiveness and the throwing into tighter windows, but he really played well. I mean, Brian Kelly said today, take you know the 54-yard touchdown to Dre Jenkins. Brian Kelly even said today, that's maybe a throw that goes out of bounds. Um, earlier in the year. Uh, Jaden hit it perfectly. Uh, Jaren never had to stop running. Um, and it was a situation where, you know, they had a free play and he took the shot um, because he started on the left side, saw Malik Neighbors, there was help over the top with the safety, worked his way back across the right, and then, you know, gave his receiver a chance to come make a play. He did that all night in terms of giving receivers a chance. It was, a, it was exactly what else he wanted and played, they played incredibly well offensively. Now, go, looking at Jaden's performance, what do you think clicked for him? Do, do you think that there was something in the Florida defense that he was able to just expose, or, or did he just have a, a bounce-back game after that bad performance against Tennessee? Well, it wasn't just a bad performance against Tennessee. I mean, it was six games of really just keeping things alive with his legs and not having a dynamic passing attack, and... It, the click was more so just his chemistry and timing with the receivers. You know, he was throwing as soon as guys were coming out of their breaks or maybe not even before they had their heads turned around. Whereas earlier in the year, he wouldn't throw until they were turned around and, like, clearly open. Um, and it was sort of this ste- very small steps of getting away from that and then this big, you know, leap here and win just one game. Um, Brian Kelly said part of it is he's playing in a different offense and he did at Arizona State. And that it's taking some time. You know, this is you know he didn't know these receivers, um, and, and he only got here a little bit before spring practice. And it's taken a while to kind of get their timing down all together. Um, and they, they've been able to do that. And and that that was kind of really the big difference is they were all just actually on the same page for really the first time this season. Kayshawn Booty came out uh, in, in a big way Saturday night, over a hundred yards for the first time this season. You know, again, kind of the same question. Was there something in the Florida defense that was able to to free him, in your opinion, or was it just you know, Kayshawn being Kayshawn? No, it was more so Kayshawn finally being the Kayshawn everybody wanted to see all year. You know, this was somebody who was coming off a major ankle injury. He had to go undergo two surgeries, but I think everyone just sort of thought because he was practicing in the fall, oh, okay, he'll be fine. You know, maybe there was an element. I remember him telling me right at the beginning of fall camp, um, that he was still trying to get him confidence in terms of making cuts on his ankle. But it was weird because he would just sort of look, you know, out, not, just not his self. You know, in a lot of games, there was a bunch of drops and, you know, just sort of not being worked into the offense. And there was, you know, everybody saw it, what happened in the first you know, few games there. And then all the, in this game, though, Brian Kelly said the Cation had a really good week of practice. He was setting the standard. There was actually a moment at halftime where he said, there's blood in the water. Um, like, let's finish this thing. 
um, you know, stepping up as a guy who that you want from your number one wide receiver. He was making guys miss after the catch. He was getting separation. Um, it was the Kayshawn that you saw last year before his ankle injury in so many ways. And if LSU can continue to get that out of him, then this offense becomes just a lot more dangerous um, because it was getting the best plays, the plays it needed from its best players. Chatting with Wilson Alexander here for Tiger Talk. Josh Williams had a big game as well. One question I have, you know, and I, I might have missed the the announcement. Is Noah Kane injured? Where where has Noah Kane been? No, there's no there's been no sign of an injury. I mean, he was stressed out. Um, he was at the game. Uh, he, he's been around. Uh, just more of a matter of getting passed up on the depth chart. You know, Josh has shown that he can do a lot of the little things that LSU needs out of that position. He's uh, pretty good in pass protection, even though he's only five seven. Um, he's been he gets north and south really quick, uh, and, and that's been helpful in some situations where LSU needs to move the chains, especially like, like late at the Auburn game and even in this game uh, at times. You know, he broke off that fifty yard run because he keeps his legs churning. Um, and he just kind of knows what's going on offensively. He does a lot of the little things really well. I mean, he's not going to blow you away necessarily, but he tends to get the job done. And then John Emery is, you know, more athletic than probably anybody else else who has at running back and is starting to do some good things in the passing game as well. Obviously, we saw him have another receiving touchdown. And even though Armani Goodwin has been out and might come back this week from a hamstring, uh, Noah's just really not in the rotation right now. You know, Let's go to the offensive line. Will Campbell came back from his you know episode the week before and, and really had a great performance. Was named the SEC Offensive Lineman of the Week today. You know, if I told you beginning of the season, Wilson, that your your two tackles would be true freshmen, would you believe me? I believe you that Will Campbell was your starting left tackle because he was clearly going to be the starting left tackle from the spring. Um, I mean, I went up to you know his hometown and, uh, um, and, you know, Monroe and, um, over the summer and, and because it was clear that he was going to be the left tackle. I mean, and not just this season, but in the future, he took that spot really quickly, uh, you know, two weeks into practice. The surprise is that Emory Jones is at right tackle, especially because he's more, though he played tackle in high school at Catholic, he's more of a guard, um, possibly in the, in the future. Um, but you know, he played well enough to get himself into the lineup. LSU was, desperate to find something reliable at right tackle you know he's taken his lumps like any so is will i mean they're true freshmen um but the fact that he's been able to carve that out has really studied this offensive line in a lot of ways and um yeah no i wouldn't have expected that emory to be the end up as a starting right tackle i would have thought maybe he'd end up as a starting guard um but you know he's he's taken hold of that position and now he's got both of them out there looking at lsu's defense i mean i know they gave up 35 points um, and, and you know a lot of yards to a to a talented Florida team, but it is just that it's a talented Florida team. How do you grade LSU's defense from Saturday night? Uh, probably about a B minus. Um, there was just those two chunk plays that got allowed was a kind of a continuation of something that we've been seeing in this LSU defense. Which you know the first month of the season, this defense carried the team. Um, certainly in the Mississippi State game and then again against Auburn, even though they started allowing some big plays against Auburn, there's been some tackling issues now for most of the year. They weren't there against Mississippi State, but they were there against Florida State. They were there against Auburn, again against Tennessee, and now again against uh, Florida. Um, you know, other than those two, sort of the only Florida only had like two sustained drives. Obviously, it was gifted great field position by some special teams mistakes and turned that into two touchdowns. Um, 
but this has been some tackling, you know, that hasn't been very clean. I mean, on an Anthony Richardson 81 yard run, uh, Brian Kelly pointed out today, LSU tried to strip the ball out twice. You just got to bring him down to the ground. So that's something they need to work on, especially with Ole Miss coming up this weekend. You know, we we saw it Saturday with the the muff punt by Jack Besh. There's still a a pretty big special teams issue on this team. There is. That's putting it lightly. I mean, our one of my colleagues, Sheldon Mickles, wrote about the special teams mistakes last week, and I think he we went through just like all the play by play, and I think he totaled up 25 um, just negative special teams plays through six games, Jeez. and that's a lot. I mean, that's LSU ranks. What's that now? I, I was just I was agreeing with you. That's a lot. Yeah, that's a lot. Um, and, and, you know, LSU is, is really just at the bottom of the country in, in pretty much every special teams metric. You know, they got some good things in the Florida game. I like Damian Ramos. Should have, I mean, he had not attempted a kick over 40 yards this season. He's got some leg, but he hadn't tried that. And you're in a hostile environment. You need to ice the game, and he nailed a 47-yarder. Jay Bramblett, you know, he had the one punt, and that was exactly what else he needed out of that punt. But, no, it was just two more special teams mistakes to add to the list of them that we, that's been sort of just piling up all year. Um, just it's, I turned to rap our columnist in the game. I'm like, it's like watching a horror movie. Like you kind of need, especially if you're, you know, scared of, of uh, you know, or don't like scary movies. It's like you got to kind of cover your eyes and close your ears and maybe just sort of peek when you think it's safe again to start watching. Right. No, no doubt about it. Uh, with with the win though, Brian Kelly made LSU history. Uh, he is the first coach to go to both Auburn and Florida in the same season and win in both stadiums. Uh, which is which is pretty shocking to me. I, I didn't realize that he would have been the first to have done both. Well, there's kind of an asterisk by that because while yes, that is certainly all true um, for most of the those series, LSU would play one of them at home and one of them on the road. It wasn't until a few years ago when they had the the hurricanes and all that mess with sort of the scheduling of the Florida game that they started playing them um, at home, like you know the same location. Or, you know, excuse me both of them at home or both of them on the road in the same year. So it's kind of a small sample size um, that we're talking about here. Um, but um, it is certainly uh, still true, nonetheless, that, that he is the first coach to do that. But you're only looking at, you know, five, six uh, years or so of, of that being the case. Lastly, Wilson, you know, what do you expect from this SEC matchup on Saturday when, when Ole Miss comes to Tiger Stadium? It's going to really depend on LSU's ability to eliminate those chunk plays that we mentioned defensively. Um, Florida only rushed for about three yards to carry um, when he took out the Anthony Richardson run in the uh, the first touchdown run. Um, but, you know, this is an Ole Miss team that averages about 270 yards rushing a game. That's third in the country. They just walloped Auburn on the ground. Three guys, including quarterback Jackson Dart, were over 100 yards rushing. And Lane Kiffin is such a you know sort of smart play caller that if LSU just tries to load the box and take away the run, then they'll start throwing it. And if LSU tries, you know, you got to be really balanced defensively. Um, that's going to be probably the main thing to watch in this game is whether or not LSU can start to eliminate those plays and just play better defensively. And at the same time, because okay, it still maybe projects even if it can do that as a high-scoring game, um, can the offense you know turn what happened Saturday and can it be repeatable? You know, not instead of just a one-off thing. Okay, can they start to be consistent? and do that week to week. If so, then LSU really turns into a dangerous team. Um, and maybe, you know, <laughs> the reality of it is that if they win this weekend, they are tied for first in the SEC West. As improbable as that all sounded, and as maybe as unlikely as it is that they can actually go and beat Ole Miss and Alabama, um, they still ha- do technically have a shot to win the West. Um, and that's, you know, not a bad spot to be in uh, near the end of the regular, you know, with about five games left.
Yeah, no, no question about it. And then lastly, very quickly, uh, give me your thoughts on seeing Jamar Chase and Joe Burrow return to the Superdome and put on a show yesterday. Yeah, that was great. I mean, just especially Joe coming in with the Jamar jersey, I thought that was brilliant on his part um, to sort of acknowledge what they had done there and a creative way to do that. And, um, you know, it hurt for Saints fans to see them, uh, you know, win the game at the end. Um, but LSU fans were certainly used to seeing them do that. Um, throughout their college career, and especially for the LSU Saints fans, LSU fans are also Saints fans, which is, well, pretty much all of them, uh, kind of hurt to see it done to their own team, I'm sure. But um, it was it was a event that had been hyped up for a long time and just kind of cool to see, um, just see that game and, and see them come back and, and enjoy it. Yeah, no doubt about it. Wilson Alexander of The Advocate joining us for Tiger Talk. Wilson, appreciate you each and every week, bud, and uh, we'll do it again on Monday. Sounds good, Matt. Have a good one. Tune in next week for another edition of Tiger Talk. Here on Crunch Time with Miguez and Mesh. Welcome back to Crunch Time. Just a couple minutes left before we finish up our number one. Before we get to any more Saints or LSU talk in the second hour, let's go ahead and talk about Monday Night Football as we're going to be having it here on the station. Yeah. The the Broncos and the Chargers, um, I need a great game out of Mike Boone. Well, I wouldn't say you need a great game. You just need a solid game. It's not like you need 20 points from need, him in your fantasy team. I need 12 points. I need 12 points. Roughly. like it, it, It's not like it's the biggest thing in the world. But, hey, if you want to bet on that, the best place to do it, it's FanDuel. Because one of the things I love about betting on the NFL is that I'm always finding new players or game props that I like. And what's cool about FanDuel Sportsbook is you can combine these props with other bets from the same game to score an even bigger payout. Perfect for tonight's game. I'm going to go ahead and take the over on Justin Herbert's passing yards. I'll have an Austin Eckler anytime touchdown. And then take the under on Jerry Judy's receiving yards as a parlay. Same game parlay is just one of the reasons why I bet with FanDuel. It's easy to register easy to deposit, and easy to find your bet. And then it's also easy to place your bet fast during a game if you see a trend you like. There's no feeling like nailing a same-game parlay bet, so lock in your bet today on FanDuel Sportsbook. Right now, new customers can get up to $150 in free bets, win or lose, with promo code KLWB. That's promo code KLWB. Make every moment more with FanDuel, an official sports betting partner of the NFL. You must be 21 and older and present in Louisiana and permitted parishes only. First online real money wager only. $10 first deposit required. Bonus issued is non-withdrawable free bets that expire 14 days after the receipt. Restrictions do apply. See terms at sportsbook.fanduel.com. And if you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-877-770-STOP. So I got some bad news. Uh-oh. What you got? According to NFL rumors... On Twitter, Andy Dalton is trending to miss the game Thursday night. Yeah, I did see that. So that would make Taysom Hill your starter. <laughs> that would make Taysom Hill your starter. Yeah. Unless you're 100% confident that Jameis Winston is ready to roll, which I doubt that you are. Yeah, no, I... I would use that long week after this game on Thursday to so give him a better opportunity to get back. You either play Taysom Hill at quarterback or you pick somebody up. Well, no, you would you would pretty much have to start Taysom and then pick somebody up. 
As a backup. As a backup, because you're not going to start them. You would just have to start Taysom and then have somebody be the backup role. You want to bring JT Barrett back for the 60,000th time? <laughs> oh, what was that guy from Colorado State? Garrett Grayson. Garrett, yeah, Garrett Grayson. Garrett Grayson. Hey, I had high hopes for Garrett Grayson. Did you just, actually? I did. <laughs> I mean, dude, you drafted him in the third round. I, you had high, I, I had high hopes for him. Go get Ian Book back. Oh, God. Please no. Please, please no. Speaking speaking of Ian Book, I have an Ian Book rookie card if anybody wants to take it off my hands. He'll pay you to take it off. <laughs> we we could we could we could strike up a deal. We could talk we could talk about something. Um because God, that's an eyesore in my office right now. That's bad. That's so bad. Anyways, hour number one in the books. Hour number two. We're gonna bring you audio from the Houston Astros. We're going to talk more about the Saints game as well as Monday Night Football, and then we will chat with Darson with Dawson Iserlo of the Dome Zone podcast. We'll get his thoughts on the Saints game, and we'll do that next after the top of the hour sports update right here on the game. 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station. You're clocked out. We're locked in. You're listening to Crunch Time with Miguez and Mesh here on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Hour number two on a Monday edition of Crunch Time here on the game. 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station in your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros, Matt Miguez, James Mesh. For the first time in today's show, let's look at our poll question of the day. How optimistic are you about the rest of the Saints' regular season? The NFC South is up for grabs. You're still feeling it out. Or when do the Pels start? So far on Twitter, 33% of you say that the NFC South is still up for grabs. 44% of you say that you're still feeling it out. And 22% of you want to know when the Pels start. Speaking of the Pels, they are announcing a new City Edition jersey this year. And supposedly, according to multiple sources, it's a navy blue jersey with Mardi Gras coloring. I don't know what it looks like. I don't know what the details are. I've just seen on social media that it is rumored to be a navy blue jersey and a Mardi Gras thing. But also, uh, James, I don't know, you might know this since you're an NBA guy more than I am. Um, used to, Nike would do the earned jerseys for the teams that had made the playoffs. Is that still a thing? The earned jerseys? Right. So you have the statement the association, I think it's the icon, and then you have the city edition. Teams that made the playoffs the year before had a fifth jersey called the earned edition. And the Pelicans, when they made the playoffs that last time with Anthony Davis, the, the earned edition was that white jersey with the red, blue, and gold stripes, and it said NOLA across it. I was just wondering if the earned edition was still a thing and if you could see a even newer Pelicans jersey this season. Because how do you not like the Celtics new jersey? We, we got to get to that. We're, and we're going to get to that here in a moment. 
How? How how did you not like them? That dark green with the 11 diamonds on the side for Bill Russell's 11 titles. The script Celtics. Dude, it was beautiful. Absolute thing of beauty. And you said you didn't like it. Anyways. Going back to the Houston Astros. How about an 18-inning defensive slugfest? And the probably the most unlikely person broke it open in rookie shortstop Jeremy Pena. 3-2 pitch. In the air, deep left center field, hit well. Rodriguez on the run, and it is gone! Oh, Jeremy Pena sends one to the seats, and the Astros lead one to nothing in the 18th inning. This kid is the real deal himself. What a moment. 3-2, got a fastball. Okay, so this is this is crazy, right? You you look at the baseball. Heading into the playoffs, James, what did we say? We said that the Astros were going to go to the World Series and they were going to play either the Dodgers or the Braves, right? Well, guess what? They're both out. So now the Astros are waiting to play the winner of the Yankees and the Guardians. Game 5 is going to be decided tonight. And then if you win that series, you're going to play the winner of the Phillies and the Padres. Excuse me? Where did these cats come from? I mean, the Padres kind of make sense. They brought in Juan Soto. They brought in Josh Bell. And, I mean, Slam Diego really came to life. But the Phillies? They came out of left field. They had to fight through the wild card, won the wild card series, and now they're in the NLCS. It's just really, it's really impressive what we've seen out of Philadelphia. I mean, Bryce Harper might actually have the chance to find some postseason success. Because keep in mind, when he was with the Washington Nationals, the first season that he wasn't with the team, they win it all. Uh, so, who knows? Maybe, maybe he gets a ring on his finger uh, this year. Speak while on the topic of the Astros, Martin Maldonado talked with the media about the pitching of the Houston Astros. Um, that's how you know our bullpen has been strength from also from the you know from the beginning of the year. Um, you know those guys they keep putting zeros, passing the ball to the next guy, and. Uh, you know, I think they did it from, from the first you know, first game of the series. How do you put into perspective what Garcia did? Um, I would say the best. I would say the best performance seeing how him. Um, you know, last year again Boston was kind of similar, but today was really really impressive. It's best pitching staff ever been a part of. I know 2019 was really good too. So, you know, I gotta see what we have, but. Um, I believe the um, the best pitching staff have been part of our, 
other than Houston Astros. Ryan Stanek also met with the media and discussed the win over the Mariners to move on to the ALCS. Oh, it did. It was just like, it like a lot of times you say it was a full team effort. No, but this was a full team effort to grind out 18 innings. Like, damn near everybody pitched. It was, it took everybody. It was, it was so impressive what the young guys did, what Luis did to finish the game, what Hunter did, what Rafi, Hector, Presley, uh, Brian, who's thrown a lot this series. And not to, not to even like forget about Lance, who went six shutty with two hits over the course of a game that was two full games. Like what, what, what was done today was was incredibly impressive, and like I, I couldn't be more like elated for all the guys and, and proud of everybody. The way you heard the man. Six shutty. He went six shutty. What a performance from Lance McCullers. Now, you know, the, the Astros, they've obviously been here before. This is their sixth straight trip to the ALCS. So here's the thing. I, I want the Astros to play the Yankees just because I would love to beat the Yankees. But at the same time, from a matchup perspective, I think the Astros match up better against Cleveland. Um, from, a, from a pitching standpoint, I, I think the Astros could have better success against the batters of the Guardians than of the Yankees. But it would be a lot sweeter... To, to knock off the Yankees to move on to the World Series. There's no question about that. One thing that we haven't gotten to yet, James, can we talk about Alabama-Tennessee? Talk about the goalposts getting into the river? Can, can, we, can we talk about the mania that was Knoxville-Tennessee this weekend? So here's the thing. You saw Feinbaum come out the coffin? Yes. Incredible. Absolutely incredible. First time in 16 years Tennessee yeah, beat Alabama. Last time was 2006. The iPhone hadn't even been invented yet. That's insane to think about. Yeah, the first iPhone was 2008? 2007. It was 2007. Yeah, very next year. So they ripped the goalpost out of the ground, carry them throughout the streets of Knoxville, and then went throw them in the Tennessee River. And of course, you know, Tennessee fans stormed the field. Uh, so they were issued a fine from the SEC. They were issued a fine of $100,000 for storming the field. And then they were issued a fine of $15,000 per goalpost. This is where things get really funny. The University of Tennessee or somebody associated with the University of Tennessee, maybe it wasn't, I don't really know. Um, somebody started a Kickstarter for a, a goalpost fund to get the goalpost put back up in Neyland Stadium. So what's what's funny about this is Tennessee has gotten... 
a whole lot of flack for this, right? Oh, you're an SEC school. Oh, you make, you know, millions and millions of dollars every year, you know, whatever. Why are you making a fund for the goalposts? So, clearly, this was started as a joke, right? Like, there's no way that Tennessee actually needs help paying for their goalposts. No. It's an SEC school. They don't need help. You don't need help. But if you haven't looked at the options that you can donate... Oh, what's the lowest amount you can donate? That part is quite funny. So you can give the standard, you know, twenty five hundred, two hundred fifty, five hundred. <laughs> standard, okay. Well, but that's <laughs> like, but that those numbers are on a lot of donation things, right? So like, it's standard. You can give fifty two dollars and forty nine cents for the final score of the game. You can give sixteen dollars for the amount of seasons that have been since Tennessee beat Alabama, or if you're just feeling big baller and you really bleed Tennessee orange, you can give $1,019.15 to represent the capacity of Neyland Stadium on Saturday. James, you know how much they've raised so far? Oh, uh, $16. Say that one one more time. $150,000 and $247. What was their goal? $150. Oh, so they got it. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, Rocky Top. You'll always be home sweet home to me. (laughs) Not literally, but I mean, and I, I saw a video of the field goal at the end of the game. Do you know how close that was to not being made? The ball went sideways. It got tipped. Yeah. It barely went over the goalpost. They almost didn't make that. I I saw it the first time and I was like, wow, that is ugly. Oh yeah. And I don't know if it's gonna make it. And it, it, it just ended up getting back there. I was like, okay. Oh man. Fair enough. But what a <laughs> what a performance from Jalen Hyatt, Tennessee's wide receiver. What was it? Seven catches, two hundred yards, and five touchdowns? Six catches. 207 yards, five touchdowns. Yeah. Nuts. Absolutely nuts. Hendon Hooker throws five touchdowns, and all five of them are to one receiver. Absolutely insane. But another guy I'm going to give credit to, give credit to Bryce Young. Because I'm not sure that he was 100% healthy, and yet that dude still went out and threw 455 yards. I mean, great showing. From from Bryce Young, uh, but now you know Tennessee beats Alabama for the first time in 16 years. Tennessee is now the number three team in the country, and November 5th is going to set up to be one hell of a day of football. Because on November 5th, LSU plays Alabama, which is the one that we're worried about, obviously. But in the SEC East, Tennessee gets to play Georgia. That'll be fun. So November 5th, if you don't have anything to do, you might want to stay on your couch and watch college football all day because it's going to be – I would imagine that 
Tennessee Georgia's the two thirty game, which would make Bama LSU a night game, which is what LSU fans probably want in the end. But oof, that could get real interesting real quick. Once again, if you want to get in on the show, 337-706-0111. But the Sweet Dough Pie Festival is coming back and serving up a slice of history and deliciousness. Every year, pastry chefs and home cooks vie to be crowned best in the Sweet Dough Pie Contest, where the public is the judge. And, of course, a large variety of pies are available for purchase. The Sweet Dough Pie Festival returns Saturday, October 29th from 9 a.m. to 3 p.m. at Grand Coteau Town Park in Grand Coteau. For more information, call 337-331-6352 or visit the Town of Grand Coteau's Facebook page. Take time out. When we return, we will talk more about the weekend that was, and we'll bring you audio from Saints head coach Dennis Allen, as well as Joe Burrow and Jamar Chase, right here on The Game, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station, your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Tune in every weekday at 8.15 a.m. and 3.15 p.m. for the LSU Sports Update. Presented by Tibbs Trailers here on The Game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's Sports Station. Another thing that I forgot about the the Alabama-Tennessee game. At the end of the game when Tennessee fans were celebrating, what song played over the loudspeakers of Neyland Stadium? Dixieland Delight, Alabama's anthem that they play before the start of the fourth quarter of every home game at Bryant-Denny. Tennessee added insult to injury, and I love it. Look, not a diehard LSU fan. Never claimed to be. But I will tell you, two teams, or really three teams, that I will never cheer for in the world of sports. I will never cheer for the Atlanta Falcons. I will never cheer for the Dallas Cowboys. And I will never cheer for the Alabama Crimson Tide. They could, I, again, not a huge LSU fan, but I will always cheer for LSU the night they play Alabama. Because, nope. Can't stand them. Never have been able to. And it, it was before Nick Saban got there. Don't like Alabama. But anyways, I digress. Going back to the New Orleans Saints, who fell to the Cincinnati Bengals 30-26 to yesterday. Dennis Allen, very frustrated postgame, met with the media, and here is his opening statement. It's proud of the way our guys competed, but yet disappointed that we didn't make those plays at the end of the game to give us an opportunity to win the game. So... Um, Short turnaround, Thursday night game, so we got a lot of we got a lot of stuff to clean up in a short period of time. Perfect example of how frustrated he was. He was asked why there wasn't a pass interference call on the fourth down play at the end of the game. Well, it looked like there was a lot of contact and they weren't really playing the ball, so those are my thoughts. Short, sweet, to the point. Um, he was That's how a lot of these sound bites are. He was also asked. Um, the, the way the reporter worded it was, Dennis, I'm not going to ask you to insult the officials, but, you know, if you could share your thoughts on, on just, you know, the lack of, of calls in the game. And he said, Oh, I'm not going there. He, he said, we're not going to go there. We're not, we're not going to do that. Uh, but Dennis Allen 
did spend some time speaking about the game plan that he and his staff had drawn up and the execution of it. Um, no. Um, look, I thought we had I thought I thought we had the right game plan, and I thought for the most part, for the better part of the game, I thought we executed that game plan. I thought the game came down to the red zone. We 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 had some opportunities to to get off the field on third down in the red zone. We didn't do that, um, and and we didn't score enough touchdowns in the red zone. And that that therein lies the difference in the game. I think the final stats were we were one of five and they were three of three. Um, and so all the things that go on in the game um, really kind of come down to that one statistical category. One in five in the red zone. Terrible. Just terrible. Can't get over it. Anyway, Tyron Matthew spoke with the media as well, and really the the main message of his thoughts were just frustrated. Yeah, I mean, listen, I think it hurt. Right? Anytime you lose in this league, it hurt. Um, you know, but you know, the last couple of weeks we, we've had, you know, uh, you know, double-digit leads, and, um, you know, we just got to find a way to kind of, you know, put teams away. Um, so, um, you know, but I think the most important thing is us just continuing to stick together. Um, you know, I think we have a good group. Um, so, you know, I think we'll be all right in the end, but uh, just got to find a way to con- f- finish these games. On the other side, Joe Shiesty, a.k.a. Joe Burrow, met with the media following his dominant performance of 300 yards and three touchdowns. And he put it plain and simple. It was a great day for the team. It always does when we play in this state. You know, the fans are crazy. It's great to come back and, and experience that. Fortunately, we got the win. Um, it's a, a great day for us. And then, of course, you know, everyone saw the pictures circulating on social media. Joe Burrow walked into the Superdome wearing Jamar Chase's national championship game jersey. And, you know, as a way to honor LSU and the fans in the state of Louisiana that treated both Joe and Jamar so well in their time in Baton Rouge. And... uh you know, Joe Joe kind of went into detail with how the whole thing went down and said that Saturday morning he decided that that's what he was going to do. And so he texted Jamar and said, "Hey, you know, bring your bring your national championship game jersey." <laughs> well, Jamar Chase had to take it out of the frame that was on the wall to give it to Joe, and at the time, Jamar had no idea what Joe wanted to do with the national championship game jersey. But all in all, cool story. Let's go to the hotline now. Frank's joining us. Frank, what's up? Uh not a lot. Uh, just uh just just trying to get out of my shell a little bit, because uh, I've been frustrated uh since Sunday. Uh how how are you doing? I mean it it's absolutely absolutely frustrating. You know the the offense plays efficiently probably you look at the first half the offense probably had their best performance of the season and in in the second half you you're just a completely different team you're not executing you're punting a lot more than you were you're you know constantly going to the check down rather than you know looking over the middle of the field you're running the and I understand the Saints ran the ball really well I I get it you started running the ball too much in, in the second half 
and you became too predictable when Cincinnati attacked you. Well, my wife, who is a, a Saints fanatic because I did not want to watch the game, um, she said, let's put it on. So, you know, happy wife, happy life. Yep. So we put it on. So Saints are running the ball, and they are running the Jets off of, you know, anybody. Um, they, they're smoking them on the run game. And they kept doing it up until the red zone. And, okay, you can't keep kicking field goals. Field goals cannot keep up with touchdowns. I'm not going to blame it on the punter. That silly oh, no. punt that he made at the end of the game, that was not the boogaboo. Nope. The boogaboo was the Saints defense needs to go back to Pony League tackling 101. That was the most, man, uh, what's a friendly term I can say right now? That was the pooiest tackling I have seen in uh, secondary for all, what, three years I've seen secondary play together. That, that was crap. I mean, and crap is being polite. They, they were trying to tackle those little air fluffy things that blow up on the side of the road on car dealerships. you got to hit somebody, wrap up, and tackle all the way down to the feet. You're not going to tackle NFL players at their shoulders. That's not how it works. You see, that's that's become a problem in all of football. Well, yeah, it goes all the way down to Pony League. They yep. don't know how to tackle anymore. And the, the biggest problem I've found, and I don't know if you've noticed it, because it's it's been a booger on the Saints' pants for the last, I don't know, three, four, five years when they get called for something that shouldn't have been called, a.k.a. the DeMario Davis hit on Joe Burrow, they turtle up. They turn into hermits, yep. and it's like they close up. I didn't see anything from Cam Jordan yesterday, did you? I mean, he disrupted a couple of plays, but like big Cam Jordan plays, no. No, nothing. You got... Uh, DeMario Davis breaking through on a linebacker blitz. He tackled old boy with one hand. One hand is all it took. That's proper tackling because he went low. All these cornerbacks and safeties, I, I mean, you remember LaRon Landry? I do. Lor- nobody wanted to go across the middle of the field because LaRon Landry looked like a chisel piece of Roman sculpture. He was he will kill you if you go across the middle. Yeah, and that's how football should be. But these these wide and these the way that the rules are set up, you can't hit anybody anymore. And I think the Saints get get clammed up and they get turtle shelled because they get called for one bad play and everybody in the secondary goes, well, uh, we we probably shouldn't hit anybody anymore because it's going to go back to Bounty Gate. Yeah, yeah, I, I don't know that I agree with that, but I do get where you're coming from. Um, look, at, at the end of the day, you know, you, you, you talked about it. Tackling has become a huge issue in football. You, you saw it with the LSU game Saturday night. Anthony Richardson goes on that 81-yard touchdown run. He broke about five arm tackles on that run. Yeah, moving full speed, who are you going to arm tackle? you got to square up, box up, drop, waste. Waist to feet, boom. You can't get the waist, shrink down to the feet. If their feet ain't moving forward, they neither are they. That, right. That's it, done. Yep, no, absolutely. So I, 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 just, I just don't understand. I just don't understand where the tackling has gone. Um, if, if, 
I understand the power hits are going out the NFL because they want to protect their players. I get it. I got it. But you think about guys like Ronnie Lott, Lawrence Taylor. You know, the, these guys, they, they would go out there and try to murder people just, just to make a tackle. And that's football. That's what people pay to see. They want to see full contact. This is flag football. Uh, as far as for the, the, the play that Dennis Allen is talking about, I'm glad he didn't say anything because there was contact all the way down the field. Yeah, no, there 100% was. And then, you know, you, you go to the, the play with Eli Apple and Alvin Kamara. Right. The Where, where Eli Apple drops a shoulder into Kamara's back. Like, how, do you, how do you not call that? How do you how do you not? No, I'm not. Look, I'm not. I'm not gonna poo poo on on the coaching because I, I I don't know if anybody's been listening to the show for a while, but I did coach my sons in football. So coaches can't be on the field to 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 play for oh, the kids, right? Coaches but at can the only same do so time, much. These are NFL players. Yep. And these should be NFL referees. You even had the the referee who is the spot-on guy that they're paying to say whether a referee made the right or wrong call, and even the spot-on referee said, yeah, that that shouldn't have been a a, a roughing the passer because Joe Burrow was still in the act of throwing. But as soon as that happened, clam up. Right. No, absolutely. You're you're spot-on. Well, I appreciate y'all for taking my call. Y'all have a great afternoon, guys. Appreciate you, man. Look, I'm going to close with this, and we're going to take a timeout. Do not be surprised if Dennis Allen is a one-and-done. If things don't improve, he might very well be a one-year-and-done for the Saints. We'll take a timeout. Dawson Iserlow of the Dome Zone Podcast joins us next right here on The Game. Southwest Louisiana Sports Station, your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. You're listening to the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Slings it far side. Stingley steps inside the receiver and picks it off. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. A shot to left field. Going back on its Gordon. He'll look up. It's a goner. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Back here on Crunch Time, 39 after the hour. Matt Miguez, James Mesh. Chatting with Dawson Iserlow of the Dome Zone podcast. Dawson, what's going on, bud? How are you? Hey, Matt. It's good to be on. You know, thanks for having me. We'd be doing a little better if this uh, Saints team had figured things out yesterday. Yeah, so let, let's start there. What, what the hell happened? You know, Matt, it, it was one of those games where if you'd have told me the final score when the game started, given who the Saints had out, Marshawn Lattimore, Michael Thomas, etc., you know, you'd probably been fine with it. You'd have said, wow, they, they fought hard, they were up against it, and they found a way to make it close. But when you watch this game and you watch the opportunities that the Saints had, the execution on offense early on, which was fantastic, you were kind of doing what you wanted to, a two-score lead you know, in the second half and the number of times they settled for field goals, you just can't help but think they gave this one away. And at the point you are in the season where – you mentioned the NFC South being still wide open. These are the games that you're going to look back if you're trying to make a playoff push at the end and go, how did we find a way to lose that one? Yeah, you know, you, you look at it, the The biggest thing is the one of five red zone efficiency, right? Um, 
and, and just you know the the stagnance of the offense in, in the second half. You know, the the big question that I have for you, Dawson, is how did you grade the defense yesterday? The defense to me is really the more concerning point about this whole team, you know, and you kind of had a bit of a different take at the beginning of the show on that. But for me, what I expected from Andy Dalton through two weeks of him being the full-time starter has been, or, you know, however long he's been playing is exactly what I expected out of Andy Dalton. He's done everything you could have asked him to do. And that's basically not screw things up. And the idea behind Andy Dalton being the better option for this team right now, whether Jameis was healthy or not, was that the defense was still a top-tier defense that was going to be able to carry you to victories, and Andy Dalton was just going to have to do enough. That's no longer the case. You know, I mean, and I was looking on team rankings on some of these team stats. You're six weeks into the season, which for me is a, a good point to start gauging some of these stats as a team. You're 28th in, in team defense as far as points allowed. Uh, you're 32nd in turnover margin, and there's only 32 NFL teams, so dead last in turnover margin. A defense for the Saints that's always kind of prided themselves on taking the football away and being opportunistic. They're not doing those things. And, you know, to make things worse, we got a chance to watch T.J. Gardner-Johnson play fantastically for the Eagles last night and just think about the fact that we traded him away at the beginning of the season. So, for me, the defense is by far the most concerning aspect of this roster right now. So, you know, you talked about the the defense, and, and obviously, you know, it's a concern. The offense kind of getting stagnant at points seems to be a concern as well. Dawson, i got to ask, how much of this do you chalk up to coaching? I think a good bit of it, you know, and you mentioned it before the break about Dennis Allen, and, and you wouldn't be surprised if this is a one-year thing. You know, I don't like going that far and talking about firing the coach at this point in the season, so I won't go there, but I will say one thing is that when you're an NFL coach on your second stop, as Dennis Allen is, and the first one wasn't particularly particularly successful in Oakland, I think you have a shorter leash because I think it's one of those things where you sit there and you say, what's his record now, 10-32 and 32 as an NFL head coach? Uh, some of the things for me coaching-wise that really are concerning is the fact that you had a chance to potentially run the clock out. You know, Before Joe Burrow makes that big heroic play to Jamar Chase, who breaks a couple of tackles and scores, you know, you're sitting there with three minutes and change left on the clock. You get the football back. And you don't even let Taysom Hill touch the football, which he's a guy who's averaging eight yards a carry. I think that's a great spot to bring him in. But not even just that. It's just the conservative nature of the play calling. It just felt like this was a team that was trying not to lose. And that's one of the first ways to ensure you're going to lose in the National Football League. Yeah. 10-32 and 32 is Dennis Allen's head coaching record. It's, it's concerning because it's, it's a point where you wonder – you know, I, I think we gave him a lot of passes when we hired him, and we thought it was a new opportunity for him. And I still think that, you know, there's hope this isn't over for him. But if things don't turn quickly, those questions are going to start getting asked, especially with Sean Payton's return to coaching looming. I can only imagine the storylines that are going to emerge if the Saints continue to struggle. Dawson Iserlow of the Dome Zone podcast joining us here on Crunch Time. You know, talk about Rashid Shahid. And that that forty yard forty four yard touchdown play that he had, where he just took a end around handoff and outran everybody down the field. Well, that was one of the more refreshing aspects of this game because you came in with so many guys injured, specifically at the wide receiver position, um, and a guy who I'm not sure many Saints fans had really heard of before this game comes in and makes an immediate impact. 
Um, I think some people, again, going back to that coaching, will then ask, well, how come he didn't get the ball again? I think you certainly can chalk that up to the fact that he was just added recently and maybe didn't have a full grasp of the playbook. So you maybe give the coaches a pass there. But, yeah, he certainly looked electric. And a guy that we were expecting a lot from coming into the season was Deontay Hardy, and we so far haven't gotten that. It's been a combination of injuries and just poor play. But Shahid kind of came in yesterday and said, hey, if that job, as far as being the return man and kind of a, you know, a gadget player on offense, if that's up for grabs, he's willing to take it. And I think you have to take a, a hard look at him. I'd expect him to get another chance on Thursday night, given the short week, and it doesn't look like the Saints are going to get many of their injured players back in action. Yeah, that was going to be my next question. You know, short turnaround, Michael Thomas probably not going to suit up. Jarvis Landry also probably not going to suit up. Marshawn Lattimore as well. And now you add in the rumor that Andy Dalton might not even play. Yeah, and I tell you, if you could pick a worse week for a team to have a short week, I don't know if you could find one for the Saints. Uh, just as banged up as they've been in a while, we talked about that going into the Bengals game. And, you know, for all things considered, the Saints played well at the spots that we expected them to struggle, at least until the very end. Uh, but you go into a game with Arizona, they're another team that's, you know, in a pretty desperate situation the way you are. It's going to be difficult for the Saints to be able to do anything. Um, if Andy Dalton misses this game and if Jameis Winston is still not back, I say the one thing you at least have to look forward to is potentially a Taysom Hill start, and those are fun to watch. They may not end well, but they're fun to watch, and maybe that's what Saints fans need is something entertaining. In, in your opinion, is there a way that the NFL could avoid short turnarounds like this? Yeah, I mean, I, I think the idea that everyone's talked about has been the idea of making two buys a thing. Um, and ensuring that I know they don't want to get rid of Thursday Night Football, especially with the new deal that they just signed with Amazon Prime, but finding a way to at least ensure that if you have a Thursday night game, you have a buy before it so that you're not having these short week situations, I think those would be helpful. I mean, the Saints are going into this as you know, shorthanded as you can be in a short week. I mean, we're going to likely see some guys elevated to the active roster. You talk about Rashid Shahid. We're going to see a lot more guys like that that Saints fans maybe have no idea who they are, guys who maybe don't even you know know everybody in the building yet, might be suiting up in the black and gold on Thursday. So I don't know if there's an immediate fix, uh, but it, it feels like the NFL has to do something at some point, especially when you look at the injury numbers and, and some of the concerns that people have had. All right, so let's let's preview this matchup with the, the Arizona Cardinals. What do they do well on offense, in your opinion, that, that could cause some havoc for the Saints? Well, with Arizona, it's, it's always really kind of dependent on the way Kyler Murray is able to play, and he's a dynamic quarterback at that spot. The Saints have had a history of struggling against really athletic quarterbacks. We know going back to some of the times that Jalen Hurts and guys like that have had success against the Saints. Another big thing for him is that he's likely getting back his number one receiver, DeAndre Hopkins, who has been suspended for the first six weeks, but as of now, it looks like DeAndre Hopkins is going to be activated and ready to go, so... Another thing with Marshawn Lattimore potentially missing again, now you're going to have to go up against one of the best receivers in the league and DeAndre Hopkins. You know, that's a concern. Now, the Cardinals do have some injuries of their own. It looks like Marquise Brown and James Conner, both non-participants. I'm not sure you're going to see Brown and Conner still kind of a question mark. So maybe not at full strength themselves, but regardless, the Saints are going to have to find a way with an injured and you know battered up secondary to try to defend one of the most dangerous receivers in the league and DeAndre Hopkins. Now, you know, vice versa, let's look at their defense. What what holes in their defense can the Saints' offense exploit? 
Well, you know, when you take a look at some of these matchups that the Saints have had since Andy Dalton took over on the offensive side, and again, we don't really know who it's going to be. So I think that's kind of a big thing. Um, it's basically a matter of, of who do you have available to you, first of all. Um, and, and I think that's where the Saints have to start. I don't necessarily know if, if you have Taysom Hill starting this game, uh, what, what type of playbook you're going to be running. Are you going to go back to some of the things that you did when Taysom was a gadget player? Um, or are you going to go ahead and try to let Taysom operate the offense that Andy Dalton and James Winston have been running? That's kind of the question we're going to have to ask. So to me, it almost doesn't matter as much about what the Cardinals can present to you defensively. It's just for Dennis Allen and this offensive crew, they have to figure out who they're going to have available and, and try to piece this thing together in a really short amount of time. The injury report wrapping up here with Dawson Iserlow. The injury report was a novel uh, this week. I mean, Ryan Ramchek is the only guy that's listed on there that you feel okay about because he's only on there for rest. Yeah, and and that's really a concern because in a short week, like on a Thursday night game, you don't typically see guys who don't participate. And, of course, even today's injury report is kind of a simulated injury report because the team didn't actually have a full practice. But you don't typically see guys get elevated all of a sudden on a short week like this. So I would expect the Saints to be operating with an extremely limited roster. The biggest question is if, if Andy Dalton's able to play or not. I think that changes some things for you. Um, because if you don't have either one of Andy Dalton and Jameis Winston, you're going to be really, really limited as what you can do. All right, Dawson, promote the Dome Zone. Tell people where they can find it. Yeah, absolutely. So the Dome Zone podcast, myself and my co-host Mason Nunez, we're talking Saints football every week. It's available wherever you get podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, all those great things. Uh, we're doing weekly shows. We'll actually have one up probably Wednesday night since we have the Thursday game this week. Fantastic stuff. Dawson Iserlow of the Dome Zone Podcast. Dawson, really appreciate you taking the time. We'll talk soon, man. Yeah, absolutely. Anytime. And there he goes. Dawson Iserlow of the Dome Zone Podcast. We'll take a timeout and we'll wrap up today's show right after this, right here on the game, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station, your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. From the Louisiana Raging Cajuns to the latest with the New Orleans Saints and Pelicans. Miguez and Mesh cover it all. I'm not worried. Uh, I think it's something that I can get under control. Now back to more Crunch Time with Miguez and Mesh here on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. One of the things I love about betting on the NFL is that I'm always finding new players or game props I like. And what's cool about FanDuel Sportsbook is you can combine these props with other bets from the same game to score an even bigger payout. Perfect for tonight's game. A parlay that I've made is taking the over on Justin Herbert's passing yards, an Austin Eckler anytime touchdown, and then the under on Jerry Judy's receiving yards. Same game parlays are just one of the reasons why I bet with FanDuel. It's easy to register, easy to deposit, and easy to find your bet. It's also easy to place your bet fast during a game if you see a trend that you like. There's no feeling like nailing a same game parlay bet, so lock in your bet today on FanDuel Sportsbook. Right now, new customers can get up to $150 in free bets, win or lose, with promo code KLWB. That's promo code KLWB. Make every moment more with FanDuel, an official sports betting partner on the NFL. 
You must be 21 and older or present in Louisiana and permitted parishes only. First online roll money wager only. $10 first deposit required. Bonus issued is non withdrawable free. Bet set expire 14 days after the receipt. Restrictions apply. See terms at sportsbook.fanduel.com. And if you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-877-770-STOP. Lord have mercy. Melvin Gordon's playing tonight. I left him on the bench because I thought he was going to be hurt. It's fine. You could switch him. Different league. Oh. Different league. It's fine. Okay? It's fine. You're going to go 0-6 in one league and then 6-0 and in the other. Woohoo! And then 4-2 in the other two. We'll take this opportunity to thank Wilson Alexander for joining us for Tiger Talk, as well as Dawson Iserlow of the Dome Zone podcast for joining us as well. Appreciate everyone who called in. We'll do it again tomorrow. We're also going to have a conversation about the Louisiana Raging Cajuns men's basketball team projected to finish first in the conference. What? We'll talk about that and so much more. We'll also talk about the Houston Astros tomorrow as they prepare for the ALCS. For James Mesh, I'm Matt Miguez. Be safe. Be well. Hug your mom and them. We'll see you tomorrow. Same time, same station. Right here on the game, 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros.